There are around 5,416 mammalian species. The largest is the blue whale, weighing in at 400,000 pounds, or 181,437 kilograms, and 100 feet, or 30.48 meters long. To put that into perspective, it weighs five times as much as a semi-truck at its legal limit in the U.S. The smallest mammal is the bumblebee bat, weighing in at less than 0.004 pounds, or less than 2 grams. Mammals can swim, fly, run, and burrow, but they all share traits that make them a mammal. Welcome to Podcast Wild. I'm your host, MK, and we'll be covering just about anything to do with outdoor science. In the last episode, we discussed ecto and endotherms. In short, endotherms are animals that have high rates of metabolism and low rates of heat loss to the environment. There are two classes of endotherms, birds and mammals. Endotherms need a lot of work to maintain their metabolism. The metabolism is the sum of the process in which energy is made available. The demands of this high metabolism have shaped what makes a mammal a mammal. So what makes elephants, whales, bats, and us mammals? What do we all have in common? Most people respond that we have hair and produce milk. This is true, but not the only characteristics. There are in fact 31 characteristics that make a mammal a mammal. But why do we need all these? Well, if we use just hair and milk as our standard, then we'd be clueless about so many fossils. We have about 12 soft anatomy and 19 hard anatomy characteristics, for a total of 31. Not all of the characteristics are unique to mammals, like endothermy, which is also seen in birds. There are only about 17 that are unique to mammals. What's important to this three-parter, however, are the parts that enable mammals to live up to their endothermy lifestyle. Don't worry, I'll post a list of all the characteristics on the website. This is my personal list for mammal endothermic traits. There are others that might add or detract for their list. For soft anatomy, there's mammary glands, hair, sweat glands, sebaceous glands, endothermy, obviously, a four-chambered heart, anucleated red blood cells, and a muscular diaphragm. For the hard anatomy, there's the secondary palate, respiratory turbinates, heterodentition, multicuspate, diphodont, rib reduction, and limb rotation. So now that I've thrown a bunch of words at you, I'm actually going to break them down. So mammary glands, and thus milk production, is important for endothermy. But why? 
because it helps growing young who not only acquire a lot of food for endothermy, but also growth. For example, milk is actually a better source of protein than meat is. Milk can also pack quite a punch. For example, hooded seals produce milk that is 60% fat compared to humans 3-5%. to This allows their seal pups to double their weight in just about 4 days. With tamar wallabies, their milk is actually 14% sugar, twice as much as humans. Hair is important because it helps with heat retention, because it helps trap air close to the body and keep it warm. This is great for endotherms because it is a lightweight way to retain heat. The animal with the densest fur is the sea otter, which has 250,000 to a million hairs per square inch, or about 140,000 pairs per square centimeter. Compare this to humans that have about 833 pairs per square inch, or 300 pairs per square centimeter. Sebaceous glands go hand in hand with hair because they are usually attached to hair follicles. They produce an oily substance called sebum. The sebum helps lubricate the skin and hair. It can also prevent water loss from the skin and can help provide water resistance to skin and hair. This is important because water can quickly cool the body and water loss can inhibit important metabolic chemical reactions from happening. Associated with the sebaceous gland is a sweat gland. It is important for endotherms so that they don't overheat as they can use evaporative cooling. This happens because water needs more energy or heat to turn into a gas so it takes it away from the body. If an animal remains too hot, it can cause brain damage as the molecular bonds receive enough energy to break. So this ability to stay cool is important for endotherms, especially since they produce their own heat. The evolution of the four-chambered heart is also key for endothermy. This allows for a blood circuit to go from the lungs to the heart and another circuit the rest of the body to the heart and to not allow cross-contamination. See, if it was a two-chambered heart, then there would only be one entrance and one exit. This means that the blood would have to stop by the lungs and then head throughout the rest of the body. This means that the blood would have to stop by the lungs to get oxygen first before it hit the rest of the body. But in order for the blood to get all those places and back to the heart all over again, there would need to be a lot of pressure. But all this pressure would damage the lungs. With a three-chambered heart, it has a separate circuit for the lungs and the body. However, there is only one ventricle the exit of the heart. This means that deoxygenated blood that is headed for the heart and oxygenated blood that is meant for the rest of the body mix. This isn't efficient because the maximum amount of oxygen isn't being shipped out. This is bad as O2 is needed in energy production in the cells. The shipment of O2 is so important that our red blood cells are anucleated. This means they don't have a nucleus. The nucleus is the part of the cell that contains the DNA and other important information. Without the nucleus, this allows the red blood cells to have more room to carry more oxygen. The last soft anatomy trait that supports endothermy is the muscular diaphragm. The diaphragm helps with breathing as it helps create pressure that draws air in and out. When it contracts, it creates more space and air rushes in to fill that space. When it relaxes, the volume shrinks and air rushes out. 
The creation of the muscular diaphragm is important because as the lungs developed more surface area for more gas exchange, it became less compliant or flexible. So the diaphragm evolved to move instead. Moving on to hard anatomy, there is the secondary palate, which divides the nasal and the oral cavity. It allows mammals to breathe and drink at the same time, or breathe and eat at the same time. We humans can't breathe and swallow at the same time because of how we evolved to speak, but we still have the secondary palate. Babies can do both, but after three months, a bone called the hyoid drops, allowing for speech but preventing simultaneous swallowing and breathing. The secondary palate allows other animals to keep that O2 intake up as they never have to stop breathing, which is important for that endothermy-producing metabolism. The next part are respiratory turbinates. They are convoluted bones found in the nasal cavity. They increase the surface area in the nose. This helps in warming or cooling the air when it is breathed in. It also helps reduce water loss during exhalation. But, okay, you ask, what does water retention have to do with endothermy? Well, I'll tell you. Remember all those other adaptations to increase oxygen for metabolism? Well, one of those responses is breathing a lot. With all that breathing, a lot of moisture would be lost through exhalation. Increasing the surface area in the nose allows water to be reabsorbed. The next three have to do with teeth. Teeth for mammals are important because they are the first step in food processing, and mammals need to gleam as much energy as they can to support that high metabolism. First, we have heterodentition. This is where teeth have different shapes and sizes. With specialized teeth, the food gets broken down better. For example, with the deer, you have teeth to grasp and pull the grass, and then molars to grind the food up. Now, for those teeth to be effective, they have to have multiple cusps or bumps, so more grinding or shearing or what have you can happen with each bite. This is referred to as being multicuspid, another mammal trait. Lastly in the teeth department is being diphodont, or having two sets of teeth, being baby and adult teeth. This is important because we want to maximize the space in the jaw, but the size of the skull changes from baby to adult, and so that space changes. It also helps, with all that extra eating for energy, to have a second set of teeth so that the teeth can last. Next is the restriction of the ribs to the thoracic part of the vertebrae, instead of being paired with each vertebrae. This is a response to the diaphragm, because as it contracts and relaxes, it displaces the gut. Without having the ribs there, the mammals have more flexibility in where all that displaced gunk can go. It also allows for deeper breaths to occur. Lastly is the position of the limbs. If you look at mammals and most birds, the limbs are rotated directly under them. If you look at lizards, they have their limbs in a sprawling posture, their limbs sticking out to the side before extending down. Because of this, their body sways side to side when they run. This causes problems with the lungs because the side that is most curved, the lung is squished. The side more open gets a more expanded lung. This causes stale air to be passed from lung to lung like a hot potato. This means they can't breathe very well when running, which is why you often see them run only in short bursts. This is referred to as Carrier's constraint. 
With the limbs rotated under the body, the flexing that occurs with the gait is instead front to back, like they are folding in half. This also aids in breathing as it compresses the lungs fairly equally. So that was about 14 adaptations that could tie to endothermy. That's a lot of change. So why would our early ancestors go through all that trouble to be endothermic? Well, we're going to answer that question next week. If you are interested in examining today's episode further, I'll post a link to my resources as well as a list of mammalian characteristics at podcastwild.weebly.com. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T-W-I-L-D dot W-E-E-B-L-Y dot com. You can also find us on Facebook as Podcast Wild. Thanks for listening. Thanks for learning. We'll talk to you next time on Podcast Wild with our final installment of the Episode 3 Trilogy with Episode 3C, Descended from Giant.